1: Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a show that's another very special one tailored to your interests. If you've been following along with some of the things that we've been doing with the broadcast, we've been interfacing with a group called Timeless Healing Insights. That is the website that actually hosts our free 30-day program And some of you perhaps heard a presentation where we actually drew from some live question and answer sessions that we did. We felt that today we'd kind of mix it up a bit and instead of airing on this broadcast some segments from another program, we thought American Indian and Alaska Native Living could be the actual flagship for answering some more questions. So we're actually producing this for radio, but we'll release some bonus video content as well that will ideally go out on that Timeless Healing Insights website. But we're going to be answering questions that have come through that portal. To uh, help us with it is someone by the name of Beth Stevens. Beth, I'm so glad you're with us. Beth, tell our listening audience a little bit about how you have a relationship with the TimelessHealingInsights.org website.
2: Sure. Thanks for having me today. I'm glad to be here. I am one of the members that works on the backside of the um, ministry and the program to answer questions and get them to Dr. DeRose so we can get you the right answers. And so I present them to him, and once we get your answer, then we'll write you back. And also, they'll be on live, so you can watch them live as well, too.
1: Great. It really helps to have a team of people fielding questions. We've had really a lot of response, more than I could uh, physically handle myself. So we're glad for a team of people that are helping answer questions. Sometimes they're simple things like, well, where is that on the website? Or how can I sign up for this? But other times we're getting medical and health questions. And that's what we're going to tackle today on the broadcast. Beth, you've collected a number of questions that have come in all quite recently. So uh, why don't we uh, ask away?
2: Sure. So the first one today we have is concerning edema. And our writer wants to know, Stacey, they have so much swelling in their hands and feet and their skin becomes very, very tight. What would you recommend for this? And is it safe with blood pressure medication to use alternative treatments for edema?
1: No, this is a great question. So many people are troubled by edema, which is a swelling condition. Often we see it most commonly, typically in what we call the dependent portions of the body. Those are the things that are in the lowest position, uh, having the influence of gravity as well as uh, fluid retention. So for most of us that are up and about throughout the day, even if we're just sitting, the lowest part of our body is our feet. And so uh, this is the most common place where we see edema in the feet. And uh, as the edema gets worse, it typically works its way up the leg. So that is the most common pattern of edema we see. But if someone is bedridden, Story can be different because if they're laying in bed the whole time, that most dependent portion, if they're laying on their back, for example, may be in their, you know, buttocks area or, or on their back. So we may actually see more fluid build up there than in their legs. So that's sometimes surprising to people, but it just has to do with gravity and positional effects. And it uh, occurs when someone is retaining too much fluid. There's all kinds of causes of edema. And uh, as we've said before, uh, many times, one of my favorite sayings, one of my mentors when I was in my medical training emphasized this, the first step in treatment is diagnosis. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the things, some of the diagnoses that can affect edema and how we treat them differently. So there is a really common garden variety of edema that we see. And some people, they don't have any heart problems. They don't have any kidney problems, but they just tend to have some fluid retention And these people, if they have healthy hearts and kidneys, it's ironic, but actually sometimes drinking more water will decrease the edema. And people say, well, how could that happen? It seems that some of these people are carrying an extra uh, burden of sodium. That's one explanation for it in their body. When you drink pure water, that actually eliminates some of the excess sodium in your body. And people say, well, how would drinking more water get rid of sodium? Your kidneys cannot produce urine that has zero sodium in it. Said another way, every time we void, we're getting rid of some salt. With that in mind, if you're retaining extra sodium, drinking more pure water that has no sodium in it, that means uh, if you've got a water softener, that's maybe not a good idea to be drinking right from the tap because Mm -hmm. it's adding sodium to your water. So uh, that's just an aside, but it's an important one. So as you drink that pure water, that can help you get rid of excess sodium. And also then being more active. If you have fluid retention in your legs and you're otherwise healthy, you have no heart problems, no kidney problems, uh, just walking actually improves flow from the legs to the heart, and uh, that helps to decrease the tendency of fluid buildup. So having said that, Beth, you might have gathered, as well as our listeners, that there's two areas that could be special problems with fluid buildup. Because I keep saying, if you don't have a heart problem, if you don't have kidney problems, you picked up on that, didn't
2: you? Right. I sure did. I sure did.
1: (laughs) So I'm sure my listeners did as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Actually, I was just dealing with a woman the other day, actually yesterday to be exact. Some of you know that are regular listeners, I'm exclusively right now doing telemedicine. So for many years, I worked with a practice in California in an underserved area, and uh, I'm still helping out there doing some telemedicine services. So it's a little bit more challenging to do a a full physical exam. Of course, you can't with telemedicine. You know, we're used to uh, depending on whether you have a person in the room physically, but this is people in home. I don't have the ability to listen to their heart and their lungs, which are important. For example, if we're evaluating for what we used to call congestive heart failure, now sometimes commonly called heart failure. So as I was speaking with this woman, she had many of the signs of heart failure that had not been diagnosed. She was having trouble laying down at night. She couldn't lay flat on her back. Uh, This is something commonly that, that happens as you're retaining fluid, and that fluid can be retained in the lungs as well as in the extremities, in the legs and arms. She was also having fluid buildup in her legs. So we talked about a number of things Uh, the last time I was with her and was thankful yesterday. She said, well, my fluid buildup is 90% improved. So you say, well, what kind of things did we do? One of the things that I commonly see, and this can be in healthy people. You don't have to have a heart problem. uh, You don't have to have kidney problems. One of the common medications that works very good for blood pressure also tends to favor the formation of edema, it's a medication called uh, amlodipine, was originally uh, sold under the brand name of Norvask. Um, it's a good medicine as far as high blood pressure. And some people say, well, Dr. DeRose, you're a natural medicine doctor. Why are you saying there's a good medicine? Well, I've seen way too many people have strokes and heart attacks because of high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So real important message, make sure your blood pressure is controlled And then we can work on those natural things to try to get you off the medicines. So I'm not telling you to throw away your amlodipine or your Norvasc, but it is one of the medications that we find can contribute to fluid buildup. So um, in some of the patients, I'm rearranging their medications so that they're not on things that favor fluid buildup. And sometimes we do have to use medications that help to eliminate fluid. Now, having said that, people say, but I want natural things. Are there some simple natural things, other than drinking more water, that can help with fluid retention. Two of the um, kind of traditional herbs that have been used, they're things that, um, honestly, most of us have spent most of our lives throwing out or trying to eliminate. I'll give you three of them. Uh, one of them is dandelion. Mm-hmm. Dandelion seems to have some natural diuretic properties. Another one is actually corn silk. So we eat the corn and we throw the corn silk away. Corn silk is reputed to have diuretic properties. And uh, believe it or not, so are watermelon seeds. Yes. So, um, so these are some traditional, um, herbal therapies. Now, for someone with congestive heart failure or heart failure as we often refer to it today, we don't recommend they throw away their prescription medicines and use corn silk, watermelon seeds, and, and dandelion. But these things uh, do seem to be part of a healthy lifestyle or can be added to a healthy lifestyle that can help. For kidney problems, that uh, can be tougher, you know, once someone has uh, actual kidney failure. But um, we're emphasizing a a whole plant foods uh, diet, avoiding animal protein that seems to be especially hard on the kidneys. This can be uh, part of a more healthy approach to dealing with fluid retention.
2: Okay. On that, Dr. DeRose, is lemon putting lemon in your water, is that a diuretic or is that just enhance the flavor of your water?
1: Yeah, I don't know of any specific diuretic properties the lemon has. I would not exclude that. I mean, I'm amazed as I look at um, the whole science of phytochemistry, that's uh, plant chemistry and the so-called phytochemicals, because we're just, I mean, you study these things and there probably is something in every, and I'm exaggerating a bit, but it's, I was going to say there's probably something in every plant that can help with edema, can help with blood sugar, can help with blood pressure. Uh, And again, that's a bit of an overstatement, but not really, because the more we look at these things, we find these helpful constituents in the plant products. Now, there may not be enough to make any significant difference, but cumulatively, these things can have a huge impact. As we're talking about that, it reminds me of something in our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, and I didn't put this here as a prop. I just happened to have it on my desk. And let me just illustrate this thing about phytochemicals for our listeners. In Chapter 5, we have a chapter on nutrition, how nutrition can help blood pressure. We talk a lot about it in the free 30-day program that we have there at TimelessHealingInsights.org. But um, here in Figure 5.7, I have a list of another phytochemical. That helps with blood pressure. This is not necessarily going to help with um, edema, but it's interesting because this compound, this um, system in the body, it's it's the angiotensin converting enzyme. It's part of a broader system. Sometimes we call it the renin-aldosterone-angiotensin system. It's a complex hormonal system that involves everything from the kidneys to you know, to other organs throughout the body and is involved with regulating blood pressure and fluid balance to some extent and uh, micronutrients. Well, angiotensin-converting enzyme, if you block that, if you inhibit it, it will tend to lower blood pressure. So yeah. if someone is taking a drug that ends in pril, like lisinopril or ramipril, uh, these drugs actually are blocking this ACE enzyme, this angiotensin-converting enzyme. So here's where I'm going with this. This is a list of foods in figure 5.7 in our book that have natural ACE inhibitory compounds. Broccoli, mung beans, soybeans, buckwheat, mushrooms, spinach, chickpeas, peanuts, sunflowers, corn, potatoes, wheat, garlic, and rice. A number of these um, you know, foods that have been valued in North America and other places by indigenous peoples for, for centuries. Immediately, uh, you know, my Native American listeners, you know, resonate with some of these beans and corn and things like that. But here's the point. Just like there are these uh, ACE inhibitory compounds, there are compounds that lower blood sugar. And you can be sure there's compounds that are diuretic in many plants, not just the corn silk and the watermelon seed and the dandelion. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's something in citrus, but I don't know right offhand. I haven't found that in anything I've come across that it's especially effective for diuresis. But like you said, it can be useful in, in making the water more palatable. Mm-hmm. And for many people, the key is just drinking the water. Right. Most people are not drinking enough, and that can be a, a huge factor in helping, helping with uh, imbalances in fluid status.
2: Absolutely. So the next one we have is from a young woman who has had gastric bypass surgery. She doesn't have a sleeve, she actually had the reconnection to the, the intestine and she has absorption issues with that. One of them is um, for uh, calcium and iron, are two that don't absorb well. It, her doctor has recommended that she stay away from only a plant-based diet. She would like to be completely vegetarian. Is there anything that you can suggest for her? Um, that would be helpful, especially in iron. Her ratings were, the information from her blood work is 18. Her doctor suggested that 50, a count of 50 on her iron would have been low, but 18 is exceptionally low.
1: Yeah, we definitely want to talk about this, uh, Beth, and we are going to take some time. Some of you are getting worried about how few questions I'm answering on today's show, but believe it or not, we do have to step away just briefly. So we are going to come back with more of your questions and specifically talking about this question about uh, various types of uh, gastric bypass, other uh, intestinal bypass procedures, some of the problems you can get into, and maybe some of the things that might be of help. We will be back with more right after this.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANL.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, AIANL.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673.
1: Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose with Beth Stevens. We are taking your questions that have come through our TimelessHealingInsights.org website. It is a place where you can find a complete, quote-unquote, program to deal with high blood pressure and diabetes. I know many of you throughout Indian Country have been going through great programs in your uh, various tribal locations. I've been to some of them, and uh, I've heard some great things coming out of uh, Indian Country as far as the progress that you're making on reservations, in uh, urban Indian centers, as far as uh, pushing back the tide of diabetes. But whether it's diabetes or whether it's high blood pressure, our program is called 30 Days to Natural Diabetes and High Blood Pressure Control. You can jump onto the program at timelesshealinginsights.org. It's absolutely free. When you register, you'll get a daily email that'll kind of walk you through the program every day. You'll get a link to a roughly six-minute video where I talk you through some uh, key points and encourage you to do something different each day throughout the course of a month. We've been getting some uh, great responses as far as the results that people have had, but we're also getting a lot of questions. That's what we're answering today. If you were with us from the beginning of the hour, you say, Well, Dr. DeRose, you only answered one question in the first segment. I hope you're going to answer more because my question's there. I'm waiting for an answer Beth Stevens is with me to ask the questions. I will try to uh, hopefully be a little bit more efficient as we move forward. Beth, why don't you read that last question one more time for folks who uh, have perhaps just jumped on, and then we'll go with the answer.
2: Absolutely. This is from a young woman who's had gastric bypass surgery. She states that she's had gastric bypass. It was not the sleeve, so it's actually connected to a different segment of the intestine, She has a lot of absorption issues with vitamins, specifically iron and calcium. Her doctor has suggested that she not do a completely plant-based diet. She would prefer completely plant-based. And how does she get her iron absorption up? Through plant-based diet and supplements. When she went to the physician, her iron count was at 18. The doctor said to her that it would... 50 would have been low. Uh, And they're very concerned about that number.
1: Okay, so let's talk about that some. Yeah, the plant-based diet has many advantages to it, especially someone with a history of weight gain. It's going to be uh, much less likely that they'll regain weight if they're more on a plant-based diet. The problem with the plant-based diet is one of its very advantages. So people don't tend to gain as much weight because when you eat plant foods, you can fill up on a lot more volume than you get calories. Some of these more um, aggressive, if you will, intestinal bypass procedures—they actually really create a state of malabsorption, okay—and that's how people are losing weight. They're not absorbing their nutrients and their calories effectively. So, first point I want to make is I never want to tell someone not to listen to their doctor, okay? Because I don't know how bad this person's situation is if they're continuing to lose weight. If the doctor is very worried about their caloric consumption as well as their iron, as well as their calcium. So that's the first point I would make. But having said that, I've worked with many people who've had these procedures. And with calcium, it's very important that you're getting vitamin D. So um, very important. You want to make sure you're getting adequate vitamin D. And there's ways you can uh, try to ensure that you're getting uh, your vitamin D status is adequate, even if you're having problems with absorption. So I would say make sure. That you've got a good vitamin D status. The other thing is um, with iron absorption, vitamin C is an important uh, cofactor, if you will. So if you take your iron with vitamin C, that can help. And by the way, if you're using calcium carbonate as a source of your calcium, there is uh, some suggestion that taking that with vitamin C. So maybe you're, uh, you chew up your calcium as you're eating your orange, for example. So definitely there are things that can be done. We also find a lot of problems with vitamin B12 in individuals who've had certain intestinal bypass procedures, so I'm sure this person is being monitored for other vitamins. So often we can use a a plant-based diet, but if the doctor feels you need to add some dairy or something, I'm not going to say avoid that because you may not be able to keep your caloric intake up. So that's uh, probably the, the answer in short, but definitely... I would say this, uh, Beth, and, and say this to our viewer or listener. You can often negotiate with a doctor. If something's really serious, they're going to say, no, you, you got to do this right away and you got to do it this way right now. There are, of course, iron supplements, and I'm assuming this person is on an iron supplement. We can even give iron infusions by vein. Mm-hmm. So there are other ways to get iron in. And, um, having said all that, but you could always say something like, is my situation critical, or could I try eating blackstrap molasses and more green leafy vegetables and taking an iron supplement? Could I see if I could and a calcium supplement and vitamin D? Could I see if I could get my levels up? Could we try it for a month? And a lot of doctors, if it's not really critical, they'll go along with you and say, okay, we can try it. But if they say, no, I'm very worried for X, Y, and Z reasons, then that's a reason to say, okay. I better follow their advice right now. As things get better, maybe I can negotiate as we go further.
2: Okay. Dr. DeRose, on that, are there things that you shouldn't eat that deplete iron, such as maybe caffeine products or um, alcohol? Might be difficult on that?
1: Well, you know, it's a really interesting question. I mean, this is such a broad topic with iron. In this woman's case, she's iron deficient, so I'm assuming she's anemic. You need adequate amounts of iron to make red blood cells. Yeah. But there's a flip side to this. It's really a two-edged sword, iron is, because too high a iron level is not good. In fact, mm. there is some very interesting data that's come out over the years about higher iron stores and connections with heart disease and dementia. So is this... uh proven to be cause and effect? Some people would say no, but there are some suggestive things. Iron is a pro-oxidant. That means it favors some of these bad reactions. We've all been hearing, "Oh, you know, antioxidants are good. Well, why? Because oxidation is generally not a good thing in the body. So why I'm saying all this is uh, in some of the early research that came out in the 90s out of Scandinavia, they were looking at iron stores. This was a uh, actually one of the studies that found a relationship between higher iron stores and greater risk of heart disease. And they found one of the factors that was associated with higher iron levels, at least in this data set, was alcohol consumption. Oh, wow. It has been seen in a number of data sets. Now, I don't recommend people drink alcohol for iron status. And uh, some years ago, I spoke with a researcher in one of the leading nutritional research institutions in our country. And at that time, even though this data was out there, They said, we don't know why. I haven't circled back around and seen if more recently if people have connected the dots. But um, generally what I do recommend is, yes, if someone is concerned about their iron status, I do recommend the iron-rich plant foods. And the foods that are the champions, usually, in micronutrients in the plant kingdom, among them would be your nuts, your seeds, your beans, your green leafy vegetables. These are some of the real champions. And then some of your concentrated foods, you know, your dried fruits. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, blackstrap molasses. That's one that some people have turned to to try to get more micronutrients. But that's going to be a concentrated source of sugar as well. So just kind of keep that in mind.
2: Dr. DeRose, one of our Patients would like to know if you need to use organic all the time. Is it always organic when you buy produce? Is it always organic when you buy food off the shelf? What's your recommendation?
1: Well, there is growing concerns about toxins in our environment. Some years ago I looked at this question in the research and it wasn't research that I did, but it was actually what we call a meta-analysis, a pooling of all kinds of studies. It was at the time it was several hundred studies looking at fruit and vegetable consumption and relationship. uh, I think in this particular study, it was looking at cancer relationship. And uh, cancer, of course, is one of the diseases that we're very concerned about as far as toxin exposure. What the researchers found, and this was just common produce that you're buying off the shelves. It was not organic produce that they were studying. The more fruits and vegetables you ate, the lower the rates of cancer. And this was a very consistent finding. So here's the first point I want to make. If the best you can do is just getting commercially grown fruits, vegetables, eat more of those plant foods, they're going to benefit your health. Now, someone says, well, yes, the organic uh, foods are more expensive, but um, I can afford them or I've got my own garden or we have a community garden. Or we have a tribal program where we're growing organic uh, produce. And if you look at indigenous peoples historically, I mean, that's all they grew. You know, Native Americans, they were not using factory farming methods. they It was all basically organic. I mean, and the word basic, someone mm-hmm. would say, well, you don't even need to add that. It's organic food growing. And the reason I mention that is because, yes, if you can avoid these pesticides, these toxins, that's going to be a better choice. But... Um, As I deal with people across the income spectrum, across the spectrum as far as food availability, many of our Native American listeners are in places that uh, they have really limited food options, and they may just have that one grocery store. They may have to, because of their financial status, some of our listeners may be getting by using commodity foods, and uh, those uh, Mm -hmm. are not necessarily going to be organic foods. So do the best you can. Eat more of those whole plant foods that. Uh, that produce and uh, and you're going to be in the driver's seat
2: okay the next one is um, I have a thyroid issue and it seems to hinder my ability to lose weight
1: thyroid is a, a very important topic and it is a topic that we're going to have to say we're going to hold on to as we come back for our next segment because uh, our time has again slipped away from us now I hope you notice your host is on a roll I think I answered two questions as opposed to one in the first segment So stay tuned. We're going to come back with the second half of today's show right after these important messages.
0: American Indian and Alaskan Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org.
3: Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at SAMHSA.gov support. That's slash support.
1: Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth.
3: If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673.
1: Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me in the virtual studio is Beth Stevens. Beth Stevens is one of the folks that actually helps answer your questions if you send them through our timelesshealinginsights.org portal. Beth, why don't you just tell us uh, a little bit uh, about what you're doing for those who may just be joining us?
2: Sure. We send a question to our website. We go through, we read the questions, we get them to Dr. DeVos so he can provide us the answer. Oftentimes we categorize them and get them ready for the next um, live show, like a recording show that we're doing here today. Once you answer those questions, we respond back to you and let you know that Dr. Droz answered them on the show, and then we also provide that in text back to you.
1: Oh, wow. That is great. I'm even learning about all that you're doing. So not only are you helping people get their medical questions answered, (laughs) but people that have logistic questions about where to find something on the website or other resources that we've mentioned, I know you've been pointing them in those directions too, correct?
2: That's correct. That's correct. For a video or a segment, we'll provide them that information as well.
1: Well, Beth, we appreciate what you're doing. We appreciate you uh, asking the questions today that have come in through TimelessHealingInsights.org. Why don't you uh, repeat the question that we had to uh, leave off on before we slipped out for the break?
2: One of our program participants says that she has a thyroid issue, and it seems to hinder her ability to drop weight because she's also had a hysterectomy. And she's put on, in the last several years, well over 30 pounds and is concerned about how thyroid and hysterectomy may impact her ability to lose weight.
1: Okay, well, let's focus on the thyroid issue because this is a pervasive problem. And uh, it is true, you know, I should mention too about uh, when someone has a hysterectomy, when they have, you know, especially, you know, we often just say total hysterectomy, but that phrase often, even though in lay circles, when it's used, people are often talking about having the ovaries removed as well. In medical circles, we'll actually say, you know, a total hysterectomy and a, I won't use the medical terminology, but it's removing both uh, ovaries and tubes as well. So, you know, it's abbreviated T-A-H-B-S-O. Anyway, bottom line, if you go through either a surgical menopause or you go through menopause for natural reasons, that often causes challenges with weight gain as well. Many women note that. So let's step first of all to the thyroid. Thyroid is a very common um, organ that can, um, if you will, malfunction, dysfunction. uh, Figures as high as one in every 50 Mm -hmm. women will develop um, autoimmune hypothyroidism. So that's where the body is attacking itself. We sometimes call it Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And what happens in this situation is the thyroid begins to fail. It's uh, more common in women than men from the data I've seen, but uh, many men have it as well. And uh, at first, the thyroid function may not be all that bad, but as the autoimmune condition progresses, thyroid function tends to precipitously decrease. Thyroid is one of those master glands that controls metabolism. So uh, actually, if you have zero thyroid production, you will die. Okay, So you will go into what we call myxedema coma and you will die. So um, you have to have thyroid in order to live. But if your thyroid function is low, basically everything slows down. Uh, Your mentation can slow down. Your bowels can slow down. You'll be more constipated. Your body temperature will actually have more difficulty maintaining itself. So, in other words, when uh, everyone else is comfortable in the room, you're freezing. Uh, These can be signs of hypothyroidism. As metabolism slows, your uh, cholesterol levels actually tend to go up. Your weight tends to go up. So, it is very important to monitor thyroid function. And if your thyroid is low, then, of course... We want to try to get those levels up. People say, well, how do you do that? common way it's done is by giving someone thyroid replacement, you know, with a, uh, you know, synthetic or natural thyroid replacement. Um, natural thyroid replacements come from animal organs. I'm a little bit concerned about that. We've, um, I can't tell you that there's any study that's shown some, you know, dread illness that's that's come from this, but... Um, we have had contaminated sources of uh, of hormones from human or animal sources that have been associated with uh, with some problems over the years. So I wouldn't say this is just an innocuous thing to do to you know to harvest organs from animals and take a, a desiccated thyroid preparation. So I typically prefer to use the uh, Synthetic thyroid replacement agents in my patients. One of the questions that always comes up in this, when we're speaking about natural things, is what about, you know, iodine? What about what we call natural occurring goitrogens, things that seem to interfere with thyroid? Uh, Sometimes people ask me, well, you know, what about broccoli and uh, some of these things that may have some anti thyroid properties? I'll be honest with you, Beth, I have never seen a patient who I thought was in my office with thyroid issues because they were eating too much broccoli or soybeans or something like that. So there are some things that have mild antithyroid effects, but if you want to worry about things that have antithyroid effects, I tell people, worry about some of these um, compounds that are getting, these toxins that are getting concentrated in the food chain. And if they're concentrated in the food chain, they're not being concentrated in plants Okay. You can have plants that are contaminated, but plants, yeah, they're concentrating things from the soil, from the water, but it's not the kind of concentration that you get when you start going up the food chain and looking at animals that are eating the plants, and even worse, animals that are eating animals that have been eating the plants. This is where you really see those highest toxin levels. So message is, yes, get your thyroid level checked, get it adequately treated, and um many times it does require synthetic uh thyroid preparations i will share one thing there's not a lot of literature on this but there's some suggestions that a natural supplement called niacinamide also known as nicotinamide may have an anti autoimmune function there's um some i would say from what i've seen very preliminary data that if someone has uh early hashimoto's disease taking something like niacinamide it's possible from things I've seen may either slow the progression or stop the progression of the condition. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's interesting, intriguing. And the niacinamide, not niacin, niacinamide does not seem to have any significant toxicity from what I've seen. Typical dosage would be 500 milligrams three times a day.
2: Next question. We have a question on synthetic-based hormone, female hormones. Is there any danger in taking soy-based products while taking synthetic hormones.
1: Yeah, this whole question about soy and phytoestrogens is an interesting one. Soy does have phytoestrogens, plant estrogens. These estrogens tend to be very weak estrogens. So uh, the interesting thing about it is um, they actually seem to be protective during uh, women's uh, uh, reproductive years as far as uh, conditions that may be associated with estrogen excess because uh, the soy has these weaker estrogens that block the activity of the stronger estrogens interestingly as a woman goes through the change the phytoestrogens may actually be helpful as far as dealing with some of the postmenopausal symptoms you know the hot flashes or hot flushes some of the other issues you might be dealing with so My wife, who sees a lot more people, she's also a physician dealing with some of these things, she often recommends to them to dramatically increase your soy intake. The big question comes with um, cancers, estrogen-related cancers. The data that I've seen to this point uh, suggests that the phytoestrogens are not harmful in that context either. Okay. So um, again, I always tell people, you know, work, if, if you've got breast cancer and it's estrogen receptor positive, work with your oncologist, and if the oncologist doesn't seem like he or she is really up on that question, just says, no, stay away from everything, you know, we don't know all the answers, and you, if you ask some questions, say, well, I read this study, or, um, and they don't seem like they want to engage with you, then you may want to, you may want to get another opinion, not that you can get rid of your oncologist, but it's tough. I know it's tough for these subspecialists. You know, they're busy. They got a lot of patients. But I feel if you bring intelligent questions in, they really are obligated to answer the question. So if you show them a study, if I'm the patient, I want that provider, that specialist to say, "Yeah, that study showed this conclusion, but" You know, there's several other studies that found the opposite, or there's this, there's these problems with that study. Mm-hmm. I don't want someone just to kind of dismiss it and say, we don't know enough yet, so just stay away from it. Well, if we don't know enough yet, well, maybe it's protective. <laughs> maybe I should be eating more. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to have that intelligent dialogue with your provider. It doesn't mean to get rid of a subspecialist. A lot of them, you know, may not want to go into that detail. But if you've got a an internal medicine specialist, or general practitioner, family practitioner, who will engage with you on that level, that may be all that you need.
2: Okay. And the last one on our synthetic hormone for women question, is there a connection between synthetic hormones that are given for birth control or regulating hormone and high blood pressure? Do those elevate high blood pressure?
1: Yeah. One of the tricky things about this question, blood pressure is... um, If you look at relationships between medications and blood pressure, actually we have a, you know, I've been mentioning this book, 30 Days to Natural, Blood Pressure Control. We actually have a chapter in this book, and uh, the chapter is dealing with what we call pressors. These are things, uh, compounds that naturally raise blood pressure, and it is in Chapter 13 of the book. And I'm going to turn there. The reason why is because we have a list of compounds there, that are commonly uh, flying beneath the radar screen that actually could be causing significant problems from folks. So we've got a table, figure 13.1, is looking at generic and brand names for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. We've probably got 30 drugs here. And the reason I'm mentioning it in this context is uh, one of the common classes of medications used for menstrual, pain issues are these non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. am not saying you can't use them, but these compounds raise blood pressure. They can raise blood pressure as much as 10 points. Oh, wow. As you go through the chapter, we have a list of other drugs, uh, other categories. We do have, you'll find listed there, and this listener maybe uh, or viewer may be aware of this, birth control pills in general have been associated with high blood pressure But birth control pills, you know, are totally uh, mixed bag today. There's all kinds of different formulations of birth control pills. And so before someone throws out that pill, I would say talk with your provider. If you've noticed a connection with your blood pressure, um, definitely that's something worth exploring. But while we're on this topic of things that are commonly prescribed, this is another one that's a huge issue, and that's decongestants. So, if you take an over the counter cough or cold medicine, you could put your blood pressure through the roof um, if you have serious uh, blood pressure problems. So, these are some of the big ones the decongestants, uh, certain types of birth control pills, and the non steroidal anti inflammatory pain relievers that are common medications that do raise blood pressure.
2: Okay. So, one of the, um, our program person is asking about psoriasis, and do you have any natural remedies for
1: psoriasis? Beth, you've been doing a great job asking questions uh, just as we're needing to transition for a break, and you could say, well, I'm the host. Why do I even let you ask the question? Because we want to come to that question as we go to our final segment in just a couple minutes. We've got to step away, but we'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. It's your questions that are being answered today. If you say, wow, I didn't even know about this. Well, if you've been listening or if you're just joining us either way, TimelessHealingInsights.org, that is the, uh, the special platform that we've been releasing uh, some new uh, content on, especially helping you with high blood pressure and diabetes. And we've got a team of people that are actually fielding questions there. And, uh, we're doing some live events. We're doing some pre recorded events. Uh, what we're doing today is a radio show exclusively developed to questions that have come through the timelesshealinginsights.org website. So it's a great way to interact, a great way to uh, get some great resources, a great way to go on a 30 day lifestyle program absolutely free of charge. All you got to do is register. We'll send you a daily email with links to videos that I've done, each of those videos about six minutes a day. Most people can easily squeeze that into their program. It's not video-rich either. You can listen to it while you're driving or you're exercising. And we'll give you some pointers, things that you can do to improve your blood sugar control, improve your blood pressure control. So please feel free to jump on with us at TimelessHealingInsights.org. Beth, you've been one of those people fielding questions from the website. You've been asking me the questions on today's broadcast. Before we stepped away, you had asked a question about a skin condition. Why don't you repeat the question and then I'll try to give an answer.
2: Sure. So it was concerning psoriasis. Do you have any natural remedies for psoriasis?
1: Psoriasis is an incredibly common skin disease. A lot of people don't realize how frequent it is. And uh, we're learning a lot more about it. Still a lot we don't know about how various conditions will occur, what will, you know, trigger them. But um, one of the traditional kind of natural therapies that has been recognized for years that can help with psoriasis is just sunlight exposure. So um, sunbathing, getting out in uh, good ultraviolet natural light seems to help psoriasis in many cases. Now, folks say, well, that's not going to do me any good in the middle of winter in Minnesota. Uh, Probably not, okay? Okay. But uh, that is one of the natural therapies that has been used. The other things that are interesting about psoriasis, it is uh, we often classify it in the autoimmune condition. Uh, it's an inflammatory condition. There's all kinds of um, markers, different compounds in the body that seem to uh, go along with psoriasis. And if we can block some of these, what we call cytokines. Cytokines are cell-to-cell messengers. Uh, you may have heard of things. You may not have heard of things like interleukins or the, uh, the tumor necrosis factors. These things, actually, if we modulate these with medications, they can help psoriasis, but we can also modulate them with uh, natural therapies. So, for example, just getting adequate sleep will improve your tumor necrosis factor and interleukin balances. And a lot of people with autoimmune conditions find if they're not on a good lifestyle, if they're cutting short on sleep, if they're getting overly stressed, these things can um, be associated with flares or additional problems. The other thing I will mention is um, just like sunshine can be beneficial, there are also topical agents that are based on natural compounds, like some you know vitamin families or vi- modified vitamin creams that have been made for uh, psoriasis that can be used. And these are commercially used pharmaceutical agents that uh, your physician may even be prescribing for you. I'll mention one other thing. And uh, some years ago, we had a patient with severe uh, uh, skin affliction. It was a long time ago. I'm not sure if he had psoriasis or an extensive eczema. But one of the things that we found in natural circles that's very healing to the skin is what we did for this fellow. He had a diffuse uh, skin involvement with this condition. And we had him go in a uh, whirlpool bath. And in it, we put in comfrey leaves that had been blended. So uh, comfrey... Is a natural herb, and it does seem to have special healing properties for the skin. It really made a dramatic difference for him. Uh, I have not studied whether uh, comfrey may specifically help psoriasis or not, but uh, as you're thinking about skin conditions, it's one uh, definitely one natural therapy definitely worth considering.
2: Okay, that's great. Sounds like sunshine is a good thing for everyone too. For sure. So. This one is for um, teas. In your program, you recommend drinking hibiscus tea. And this program uh, member would like to know, do I drink the tea like I would take my blood pressure medicine three times a day, two times a day? How would they use that?
1: Yeah, so hibiscus tea is one of those teas that has been found to have natural blood pressure lowering properties. In our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, we actually have a whole chapter. It's chapter 12 where we look at natural therapies that actually have blood pressure-lowering properties. And the way we went about that, if folks heard us on the live question and answer session, I'll just repeat it here, is there are literally dozens or hundreds, more likely, plant compounds that can help with blood pressure. But the question we were asking is, what do we have the best evidence base for, and what are people in the real world using and getting results with? Mm -hmm. So we looked at a number of studies in the blood pressure literature and looked at some of the more frequently uh, used herbal therapies by natural practitioners, and those are the ones we featured in Chapter 12 of our book. One of the things that we featured there was just what our listener is asking about, and that's hibiscus tea. So here's what we recommend. We recommend uh, three cups daily, like the listener uh, and we do recommend typically spreading that out to three times a day, so morning, afternoon, and evening. This was a, a pooling of studies of researchers looking at how hibiscus tea in this type of dosage would help blood pressure. It was five different studies, total of 225 patients. They found on average when people did this uh, three cups per day of hibiscus tea, their systolic blood pressure dropped about seven and a half points. And their diastolic blood pressure, that's the lower number, three and a half points. So it did have a a significant blood pressure-lowering effect. Um, In presenting this material, in many places, I have presented it before dentists. And I remember one of the dentists came up to me and he said, Dr. DeRose, if you've got people drinking hibiscus tea, tell them to brush their teeth after drinking it or rinse their mouth out because it's very acidic. And um, I've heard other dentists say, well, if you drink something very acidic, don't brush your teeth right after So uh, the bottom line, it does seem, from what my dentist uh, friends and uh, listeners have told me, it does have a fairly high acid content. To me, the prudent thing would be at least rinse your mouth out. And I guess there is some diversity of opinion on whether it's a good idea or not. After having something acidic to brush your teeth, that may actually do more harm than good. At least that's what I'm hearing from some of my dental colleagues. I will defer to them when it comes to that question.
2: Very nice. It's very nice. So what do you think of hawthorn berry and hawthorn tea have you had any exposure to that and how they impact blood the pressure?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So hawthorn is another one of the herbs that there is um quite a bit of traditional background on as far as using for cardiovascular concerns. So uh, if you look at the listing that we have of things that are being used by natural practitioners, hawthorn is on that list. When we reviewed it, so the book is a joint product of me, Dr. Greg Steinke, another physician, and then nurse practitioner Trudy Lee. We didn't think there was the strongest evidence base and safety base for Hawthorne as compared to some of the things we did emphasize. That doesn't mean that Hawthorne isn't a valuable agent. I haven't done any recent research on it. I've just had a few questions about it as I've looked at things with Hawthorne over the years, so I've never really used it as a, a blood pressure lowering agent. I know many other natural practitioners that I respect do, so um, you know that's probably the the best answer I can give you at this point.
2: Okay, I know on the live show we had a discussion concerning canola oil, and it is a viable oil to cook with. We did have a secondary follow up to that, wanting to know if it should be used. Once a month, should we use it? Never. There's still some confusion concerning canola oil.
1: Okay. And, you know, let's first talk about oil in general. So the average person would benefit from using less oil, and many people have had great results by leaving out all the oil, all the free fat out of their diet. There are programs like the Weimar New Start program in California where they do a totally oil-free diet, and uh, people thrive on that. There is a segment of the population, though, that can get into problems if they get on a very low caloric uh, density diet. And these are sometimes older people, conscientious people that are very thin, sometimes avoiding all the oil. The food will not be palatable enough for them, and uh, they'll have trouble maintaining their weight. So if you're in that category, you may not want to be so uh, diligent to exclude all oil sources. So canola and olive oil can be used but again the message is not how much you can have or not to make some general rule for everyone but uh, be discreet most people benefit from using less oil others have to be careful not to exclude too much especially if they're having trouble uh, maintaining their weight okay well beth i know you got a whole bunch more questions but i guess this just tells me that we've got plenty of opportunity to do another radio show another live session maybe a combination of them as we go forward in the future. But our time really is uh, up for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Beth.
2: Thank you. It was a great pleasure.
1: And thank you to all you listeners, those of you who uh, joined us for the bonus video content as well. I hope you learned some things today as we engage with your questions. Again, the website that is the uh, the place where you can interface with the materials that are out there, as well as uh, we'll put a recording of this. Uh, that's the plan of this program, a video recording on that website. Again, it's timeless healing. Insights.org. Well, that's all for today. For all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.